Amen. Would you stand today? I'm so thankful to welcome one of the greatest people I know. Brother Bruce Peffer is going to come and he's going to preach the word of God. Would you receive him today with a hearty amen? Praise the Lord. God is good all the time. Not just some of the time, but I'm glad I know a God that's good all the time. Amen. And uh, it's just good to be with you today. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity given to be able to minister in the Word. I don't take that lightly. Uh, I appreciate very much the opportunity for Brother Griffith giving me and allowing me to minister in the Word today. And uh, I feel I have a Word. I've prayed about this and uh, feel I have a Word here today for someone. And uh, I do want to say I appreciate your prayers and, and any support. Uh, that uh, you have for our program going, the Celebrate Recovery program. Uh, it's growing. We started out with six people, and now we're running 20, 25. We had one baptized, received the Holy Ghost a few couple weeks ago, and we're starting a Bible study with a new couple this week, so... Thank God for that, all right? So God is doing great things. And uh, if I'll just stay out of the way and let him do it, Brother Griffith, he'll get it done. Amen. So if you would, turn with me in the Word. Uh, we're going to go to the book of Mark, the 15th chapter. Mark chapter 15. And I don't claim to have any new word this morning. There's nothing new under the sun. And in all the thousands of years that the message has been preached, uh, it's going to, you're going to have to really work to find something that hadn't, somebody hadn't done before. And uh, not saying that I, because I've, I've preached this one time before, but I sure didn't get it from anybody else. But uh, I'm glad to be able to know the, the Word of God, and it'll, it'll never come back void. Amen. I'm also glad to see this morning that we've got a family here with a new member, I believe. We've got a family here this morning with a new member. Yes. And uh, we're glad to see that. Amen. Mark chapter 15, if you will. And then beginning with verse 16. It said, And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band and they clothed him with purple and plaited him, or plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with the reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon Serenian, the Serenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto a place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the subscription 
of his accusation was written over the king of the over him, the king of the Jews. My key verse today or this morning here is very simply verse 27. And it says, And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning on the subject of hung between two thieves. Hung between two thieves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you this day. We pray for your word, God. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that your word would go forth with anointing this morning, that we could leave with some change in our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, Lord, for the going forth from this day, God, that, that we can plan different, we can look different, God, that we can change some direction in our life. Help us, God, this day. I pray that you bind every spirit that would hinder in any life in this place. I plead your blood over this house and every soul in it, God. I pray that you bind every power that would hinder. Lord, that you would loose your anointing, your spirit of truth today. And Jesus, that we can leave changed by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Now, I've never heard this message before. And I don't know if you ever have or not, but I never had. But hung between two thieves. We have to realize that recap the works of Jesus' ministry and the setting of the Scripture. Uh, he was going around and spent all the years and all the time healing the sick and raising the dead and doing mighty miracles and doing great and wonderful things the last three over three years of his life. Uh, and the, the Bible tells us that uh, it tells us that the books could not contain. You know, there's just uh, what we see. I I, I really picture. Uh, Brother Griffith, I really picture in my mind, in my heart, uh, I really picture that uh, it says the way the Bible brings it out and the way I see it, uh, if we would compare that to the ocean, uh, the miracles that we read in the Bible might be compared to a glass of water in the ocean. We're just seeing not even a fraction you know, we're reading a little bit because the books could not contain, the Word says. And so he went about healing the sick and, and the salvation of souls, ministering a new message that wasn't popular. You know, one thing I want to tell you, if you're preaching the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, it's not going to be popular everywhere you go. Because we, got, we live in a world today that's an easy believism and all they want to do is hear what they want to hear and they want to follow something. Even some that have known the truth at one time, I have a hard time with that. Even those some that have known the truth at one time, been baptized and saying, I said, how in the world could you ever have what we've had and turn around and go to something that's less? How in the world can we do that when they don't preach the message and they don't preach the same thing and they begin to change it and go because it's a popular way and it's accepted in the world? A lot of things are accepted in the world that I'm not going to go to. So he preached deliverance to the captives and people were delivered from possessions and, and, and different things and raised the people from the dead. And, oh, and again, they could not be brought up in the word all of the things that he had done, okay? Satan tried to stop him all the while without success. And finally, he devised a plan to stop his ministry. And what he doesn't realize is he didn't devise it. It was already set in motion. 
He thought he'd come up with a great plan. How many of us ever thought you'd come up with something brand? You know, there's been times before, that's why I said that about this message. Uh, there's been times before when I thought I'd come up with something new. And then I hear somebody else preach it or somebody else say it, and I'm thinking, I didn't have a thing to say. You know, or we've come up with some bright idea and we think, boy, I don't know about you, but I, this old brain, some, it, it don't work like it used to, but it still does function some. And there used to be, I'd come up with all these ideas, you know, of something this great way to, a uh, great invention or great of something, and then I find out that was done years ago. Anybody else ever been there? And so that's kind of what the old dummy Satan's done. He thinks he's come up and devised a plan, which what he was doing was just going according to God's plan. And so he comes up and devises his plan for Calvary. Okay, and so we find the Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of glory, the one that brings salvation to the world. We find him hung, but it's not just bad enough that he's hung on Calvary, but we find that he's hung between the one, the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. We find that he's not just hung, but he's hung between two criminals and two thieves, if you will. Okay, so today, but what we've got to realize is that he holds up many the same way today. Hung between two thieves. You say, well, Brother Pepper, what are you talking about? I'm not talking literal thieves. I'm talking thieves of time. You see, there is the thief of the past, and there's the thief of the future. The thief of the past is we've got regrets that we haven't done, that we know we should have done or maybe the mistakes we've made, and so we feel like we can't go on with God and be what he wants us to be because I've dropped the ball before. I've made a mistake before. There's some things that I've fouled up along the line, and I know good and well that I've messed up, or maybe I've backslid, or I've done this, or I've done that. And so he keeps us, if we're not careful, hung in that thief of time. We can't move on to be what God wants us to be because of the simple fact we can't get past what we've done. We can't get past or maybe what we haven't done that we know we need to have done. And so there's something there in our life that he constantly holds on over our head, if you will. And so we're hung between, we're hung there in that place of our past and we can't get past that. And we can even go on and live for God and struggle on the pew because of something that we know we should have done or we should be doing or something of the past that we passed up that God intended for us to do. I'm here to tell you today, it's time to let that go. It's time to move on with God. It's time to drop that and allow God to take you where he wants to take you because the devil's a liar and he'll keep you there and you'll never move on to be what God intends for you to be if you stay in that place. Hallelujah. I stayed there for a long time. That's why I can preach about it because I was called to preach when I was 12 years old. I preached my first message at 12 in the red room. And yet I turned my back on God and walked away from God and I was away from God for years. And then when I finally came back, I came back to God and prayed through and yet later on down the line when God knocked on the door and there was a guy by the name of Brother Jim Johnson and uh, we rented a, the school, Chittyville School, to play ball, the men. And so we're playing ball, and I'd been in church about eight months, and some of you may have heard this before. If you did, just sit still. I'm going to tell it again. And so he, we're sitting there playing ball, and he's sitting there uh, on the sideline, and finally I went. I just hadn't been home from the Marine Corps too long, and, and I went over to sit down so somebody else can play. And when I'd been struggling because God still had that call on my life from 12 years old. 
And so I went over there and sat down by Jim Johnson for a little bit to rest up. He sits there and he puts his hand on my leg. He said, I want to know something. I said, what's that? He said, what are you going to do? I said, what do you mean, what am I going to do? He said, you know what I mean. He said, God called you to preach when you're 12 years old. He said, I can tell you right now what you preach when you're 12 years old. I can tell you the message. Well, I was like a scared rabbit. I ended up out of church. Thank God I didn't go back to drugs and alcohol and all the stuff I was involved in before, but I went out of church. Why? Because of the simple fact, and, and one of the reasons, part of the reason was I was scared to death to get in front of people, which you can tell I ain't no more. But I was scared to death to get in front of people, and I didn't want to do that. My two worst subjects, or my worst subject, excuse me, in high school and college was speech. I hated it because I hated to get in front of people. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I, I went back out in the world and did that. And the reason I, came, I had tr the trouble was, and the struggle was because of the simple fact that even the first time was because I had failed God. And why would God use me? I didn't, I didn't follow up. And I saw some others, uh, Richard Pierce and, and Terry and Pee Wee, and, and those, I saw them come in later, and they began to preach and move around and travel around and evangelize. And I could have been one of them. And all my life, I felt like I was a failure because I could have been one of them but I didn't do it. That was a lie of the devil because that God still had a work. God still wanted me to work for him. He still had a love for me. I'm here to tell you today, God still got a love for you. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter your failure or the past. God's callings and his gifts are without repentance and God still loves you today. He still wants to work with you today. Hallelujah, the devil's a liar. Don't allow him to keep you hung there beside Christ or, or there in that place where Christ is urging and wanting to use you and wanting to take you on forward with what he's got for you. Don't allow him to lie to you and to deceive you and keep you in that place. There are people that are hung in that place, if you will. And as long as we stay there, we can never go on to do anything for God or be what God wants us to be. So we can be suspended in time, hung between two thieves, and it'll stop your progress for God. We can, and, and so and on that situation later on down the line, I mean, boy, you talk about having a hard time going ahead and answering the call. Later on, God dealt with me for a long time to, to come back to him, and I wouldn't do it because, brother Mark, I had failed him before. I failed him twice. Surely this can't be. And, and so anyway, later on down the line, finally God dealt with me so much I ended up coming back to him. And yes, I did. He confirmed to me without a doubt. I don't know if I've ever told you this or not, but if I did, you're going to hear it again. But this is how God works. I was at Sparta. My wife was in church. I was not. I wouldn't get in church because God was dealing with me. He, I was under such conviction Brother Wright, I was under such conviction I couldn't stand it, but I wouldn't yield to it because I knew if I did what I was going to have to do. I've been, there, I've been there done that. And so I knew if I did what I was going to have to do. I wasn't, I, and so I was fighting it. My wife was in church. There was something in me that wanted to yield to that, but I wouldn't do it. And so one day, Brother Mark Burchett became a good friend of mine. He was the pastor there. I wasn't in church, but that's another thing. We need to realize we win people. They may not be in church. We need to have some, hello? We need to connect with somebody. If you can't win them to you, you ain't going to win them to the Lord. And so anyway, he became my friend. 
And, you know, I, t- I, t- I took this guy. He went, brother, he went fishing with me. He didn't know a thing about fishing. And I took him. I had to try to show him how to cast a rod, Brother Don. And the first time I took him out, I showed him, how you do this? And it was an old Zeb call. You know what I'm talking about? Push the button. I mean, anybody can do this, right? So he pushes the button. And boom, right in front of his feet. No, you ain't got the hang of it yet, brother. So I teach him. So anyway, long story short, one time I took him out jugging. How many of you have ever been jugging? You know what I'm talking about. One time I took him out jugging. We're out there jugging. And... Uh, so this guy's never done this. I mean, this is a guy that went out of his way to try to win somebody to the Lord. I'm trying to get us to realize we've got a responsibility, folks, to win people to the Lord. This ain't my message, but that's okay. So anyway, we went out, and, and I got him going jugging. And sister, we went out in the boat, and we throw out these jugs and all this stuff. And later on down the line, while this one jug takes off, and boy, it's just doing real good, and it's running, Brother Martin. It's just going all over the place, and we finally got caught up to it. And when we did, I reached down, brother, and I grabbed that jug, and he's sitting up in the front of the boat, and I took that jug and flung it up like that. Big old catfish about like that landed right between his feet. Well, you know what that catfish did. It wasn't happy, and it's just going on. He liked to turn the boat over. He's up on his seat, and I'm back here trying to counterbalance and watching him, and he's, he's about to turn this boat over and screaming and going on and all of that because of this. this is a man that loves souls, okay? I mean, he put up with me and did all that stuff, getting on, getting on with my story so we're not here till supper time. But one day he was going to Cape Girardeau for pickup carpet for the church. He said, you want to ride with me? I said, sure, I'll ride with you i got to go by the house and change shirts and this, that. And she, I said, okay. So we went by his house. When we stopped at his house, he had a big, great, big, thick book like this and about this big. And I picked that thing up and looked at it. And if you, <laughs> I looked at that thing. It was a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, the old one, you know, the big, thick, hard-shelled back book and all that stuff. I picked that thing up. I, to me, it was nothing but an anchor. And I picked that thing up, and I'm looking through it, and it didn't make a lick of sense to somebody that didn't know nothing about it. And one of my reasons for fighting with God was I cannot go back and live and, and do what you want me to do because I've got a family now. I've got two kids. I've got a, people to support that depend on me. I can't go to Bible college. I can't do this. And I gave him every excuse in the world, okay? And so... That's why I was fighting with him. That was my excuse I was giving him. I'll put it that way. And so I'm sitting there looking at that. He comes out of the bedroom, and when he does, he sees me. He says, oh, you saw it, found my Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Well, being the smart aleck I always am, I said, no wonder it's called an Exhaustive Concordance. He had to be wore out when he wore, wrote this thing. What in the world is it? It doesn't make a lick of sense. He said, well, if you can even think of one word in the Bible, you can find that scripture, even if it's the word the or a you can find a scripture. I said, what? So he showed me. And then he said, okay. He said, another thing. He said, here's the a, here's a same thing, a, a concordance in the back of this Bible, Thompson Chain. He was showing me all that. Man, that's something. And so I struggled. I'm, man, I'm struggling, you know, anyway. And so and I'm under conviction. And so one night in the mines, one night, and I don't know, if I've told this, I'm sorry for you. I'm not sorry for somebody that hadn't heard it. Okay. But one night, because I want you to realize just how loving God is and how much he cares and how much he wants us to, be, to change and to be saved and to do his will. 
And so I thought, well, I began to struggle with that. And I thought if I was ever going to get back in church, I couldn't go back to Bible college. That would have to be, I'd have to use that as my Bible to find Scripture and this and that, et cetera, et cetera. And so one night I'm at the mines. I worked at the, for Peabody Coal Company at that time. And one night I'm at the mines and I'm looking at a magazine I shouldn't have been looking at. We won't go any farther. And I'm reading a story that I shouldn't have been reading out of that magazine. And brother, believe it or not, sitting there reading that magazine, a thought came to me, a message. A thought came to me, like, like a thought, you know, like hung between two thieves. When you read a scripture and all of a sudden, boom, the light comes on, you know. My lights don't come on very often, but occasionally they do. And so I'm sitting there, and, and that comes on. And literally, Lord, is my witness standing here preaching. I took that magazine and threw it in the side. And I said, leave me alone. Leave me alone. If I was ever going to do what you say or you tell me, you direct me, you want me to do, I'd have to have somebody. You'd have to confirm to me that you'd be with me every step of the way. Somebody would have to give me a Strong's exhaustive concordance to confirm to me that you wanted me to preach and that you'd be with me whether I went to college or whether I didn't. And you'd have to confirm to me, somebody would have to give me a Strong's exhaustive concordance to confirm to me that you would be with me every step of the way and that it was true, your true calling and that was all there was to it. And plus, that wasn't enough. Somebody would have to give me a strong, uh, have to give me a Thompson chain Bible to use as my concordance as well. Well, I thought, okay, that'll take care of that. Wipe that slate clean, right? We got that out of the way. Now, it won't bother me no more. Well, that was on a Thursday morning about 3 o'clock in the morning because I was working midnights. And uh, my brother and his wife came over for the weekend. And uh, when they got there, she comes in toting her Bible, you know, and I told her, being the nice guy that I was and all that stuff, I told her, I said, now you're come Bible toting. I didn't invite you over to preach to me for the weekend. They're just here to visit. She looked at me real funny. She said, no, but uh, I got something I want to touch base with you on before we leave. I said, okay. But I said, you ain't going to preach at me. She said, no. So we went on through our weekend, Brother Dustin, and, and when it comes Sunday, they got ready to leave, and we're going to get ready to leave. She said, no, I told you the other day I had something I want to talk to you about. She had a, sack, a, a grocery going to the old Kroger uh, paper bags in her arm. I told you I had something I want to talk to you about, and I said, yeah. She said, well, I'm telling you, I don't know. You, of all people, I don't know. I can't figure it out. And I've asked God a hundred times, and I can't figure it out. Maybe you can tell me. Why you of all people? I said, what are you talking about? She said, why you of all people? She said, at 3 o'clock Thursday morning, God woke me up for a bur with a burden for you and said to give you this. Well, guess what she pulled out? She pulled out a, 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 a concordance. An exhaustive concord, exactly like the one I had looked at. And she looked at me, she said, why you of all people? She said, I, I, I've argued with God. She said, I got a paperback that's cheaper. I'd love to give you because those were expensive at that time. She said, I got a paperback I'd, I was willing to give you. And I argued with God because I wanted to give you the paperback. And God said, no, I had to give you this one. She said, now, why you of all people? I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why, why when you, you, you had too much caffeine before you went to bed or something. I don't know. 
And she said, well, that's not the end of it. I said, what do you mean? As if that wasn't enough. She said, that's not the end of it. She said, he also told me to give you something. She said, I couldn't get it back in time, but I've got a Thompson chain ordered with your name on it. talk about being at the end of a dead end street and so if God loves somebody enough that they backslid they went out on him twice they went in the world they've done all the things that I have done in the past and if God loves somebody enough and the Bible says his gifts and callings are without repentance if God loved me enough to call me from that lifestyle twice don't tell me that God don't love you enough that no matter. And, and well, I've been in church, Brother Peffer, and, and God's dealt with me to do something for a long time. I don't care what God's dealt with you to do. You're not dead yet, and God's not done yet. I'm here to tell you God's got more for you to do. God's got more for you in your life. It's just you've got to be willing to yield and turn to that and be willing to allow God to move in your life. Stop being hung between the thief there with, uh, uh, you know, hung between two thieves. One of them is the past. We've got to give up the past regrets and forget those things. The Bible says forgetting those things which are behind, I press towards the mark of the high calling of Christ. We've got to forget about the failures. We've got to forget about the things of the past, the things that we haven't done. We've got to press on towards the mark of the high calling. So we find... Suspended, and none of that was in my notes. That don't mean you got to stay longer. I'll cut it shorter. You, excuse me. You can be suspended. It'll not stop your progress in God. We could ever, we could ever, never stop and live now. If we could ever stop and live now, no telling what God could do. If you could stop your past and stop thinking about the past and, Lord, I've failed, and start living for the now and the future and allow God to use you, there's no telling what you could do. No telling what at all what God could do. People could enjoy living without worry of yesterday and their regret. They could stop and start living without tomorrow and the desire held up by uncertainty and fear. You know, that was the thing with me. There was the uncertainty and fear of, of the future. I can't do this. I don't have the training for this. I can't do this because, you know, I forgot that there was somebody in charge that was a little better than me, a little wiser than me. And so we have to realize living the now, the present, is the only one we can do anything about. We cannot do anything, Brother Zelke, about what we didn't do. We can't do anything about what we're going to do. We have to live it the now and let God take us down that journey. You know, God, God, the way he does something, and I know people say, man, you've got to be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. When I finally yielded to God, and I've had several preachers say, that's unheard of. Well, i got a God that's unheard of things he can do. And when I finally yielded to that brother Wright, and I gave my heart to God, now, let me tell you one other thing real quick. It's the very simple fact that the night I gave my heart to God, brother, I had stood here in this church, even in this sanctuary right here before, and I'd white-knuckled the pews. I'd white-knuckled the pews. You know what I'm talking about in, 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 in the Sparta church before I finally yielded to that. But the presence of God and God dealing with me trying to. And when I made my move, hear me. When I made my move, it wasn't because I was white-knuckling the pews. 
It wasn't because that God was moving so great that you just couldn't stand it or couldn't take it. It was a simple fact that I had determined in my heart, okay, God, you've confirmed to me. You've proven to me. Okay, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I made up my mind and determined that we was going to, and, and everybody in the Sparta church, sister, was waiting and watching, and the day that that happened, they was going to blow the roof off that place. I mean, they, they was praying and fasting, and I was miserable, and my wife was going to church and taking my girls, and, and they were praying for me, and ha they had no idea about the calling of God on my life. And so the day that, that I had gotten, I got ever stepped for that altar, man, that place was going to go wild, and they was going to just, you know, well, I'm sorry, but I'm one of these guys that come a New Year's service. I'd made up my mind, God, I'm going to live for you. It wasn't on emotion and I still don't live, even though I get emotional, I still don't live on emotion. And so I made up my mind that when we went to, my wife was going to a New Year's service that night that, on that New Year's Eve, and I was going to go with her. I went with her from time to time, never tried to stop my, let me, if you're not in church, don't ever try to stop your spouse. I never interfered or stood in her way. I even let her pay tithes. Paid, she paid tithes off of the income when I wasn't even in church. And tithes don't save you and don't let that stop you. I'm, I'm not going any farther there. I, I'm, well, I will say this. If you're in church and living for God, that is a biblical principle that you have to live by. Okay? But here's the thing. They had already said it in their plan. I know, and mentally, you know. This place is going to blow wide open if that ever happens. Well, that night I, I went to that church for a New Year's service, and I'd already made up my mind. It wasn't on emotion. When everybody went to the altar to pray in the New Year, I waited till everybody else went to the altar. I, I felt like someone was plumb disappointed because I waited till everybody else went to the altar. After everybody got in the altar praying in the New Year, after everybody was in the altar and they was doing their own little thing and praying and all that, I slipped down to the altar, and I knelt, and I said, Okay, God. You've proven all you need to prove to me more than you need to prove to me. I'm yours. I'm yours. And I've never looked back. Because you see, I didn't move on an emotion. I moved on a determination. God, I'm going to live for you come what may. I didn't move because of the simple fact that the power was so strong. I couldn't resist it anymore. I just made up my mind. I'm going to live for you come what may. I'm going to live for you whatever comes what my way. I'm going to serve you. And when I knelt at that altar, it wasn't because I couldn't stand the moving of the power of God. It was because something in here, I determined, God, you're ever thing to me. You've shown me more than what you should have ever shown me. You've proven to me more than what you ever should prove. I'm going to live for you with all I've got from now on. Praise God. Too many times we sit around and wait on the power of God or wait on some great miracle. Why don't we just determine in our mind we're going to live for God and we're going to do everything he wants us to do. We're going to yield our heart to him. We're going to do everything that we can for him. It doesn't matter come what may. I'm not moving or doing because there is such a great emotion. I'm doing because I love you and because I, you've shown me everything that you need to show me. Praise God. You know, so living in the now, you got to live in the now, the present. It's the only way. It's the only one we can do anything about. I've got to move on quickly. 
For a long time, too many have allowed the devil to crucify them, hung between two thieves. On the right hand is yesterday in the past and the never moving ahead, regret for the lost opportunities. Some can never go on. And then reliving the past opportunities, the past failures, the condemnation, Satan's best trick in his arsenal is a condemnation over what we haven't done or way we've missed it for God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation no condemnation. You know, for years I fought with that before, but once I really come to God, I don't have condemnation anymore about my failures in the past. I don't have condemnation anymore about the years that I didn't live for him and I failed him and I ended up in the drugs and the alcohol. I don't have anything of regrets of that or condemnation. Why? Because it's all under the blood. And if the devil ever tried to come to me with that, he knows I'd take him back by the nose to the cross and the blood of Calvary covers all of that. And I don't have to worry about that. Word of God says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But here again it says who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That's a part of it too. That's kind of a tag along there we got to work on. Okay. Yesterday's gone. There's nothing that could be done about it. In Philippians 3, 13 through 14, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. He said, and boy, if there was anybody that had a right to say this, it was Paul. Because he crucified the church. Amen. He martyred the church. And if you think, well, God would never use me because I failed. Hey, if God will take somebody that, that, uh, that had them crucified, had them killed, had them stoned, if he'll take somebody that fought the church and fought the word of God that hard and he'll use them, don't tell me all about how he can't use you. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting. Everybody say Forgetting. Forget those things which are behind and press reaching forth unto those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press, that word in the Greek, it means to pursue, to attempt to capture, to chase after. Sometimes to elude. We've got to chase after. We've got to have a hunger. We've got to have a desire. So he said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forget that mess behind you. I mean, if there's anybody that could have something that would drag along behind you. What I started to say earlier, too, was when God finally, I finally yielded to God. Don't say God can't make up time. When I finally yielded to God, and I've had preachers say, man, I ain't never heard of this before. That's ridiculous. Say what you want. But when God, when I finally yielded to that, brother, Jimmy, I was one year, I was pastoring. One year. That's nuts. And I look back at that and I'm thinking, well, that's all I think. I think, that's nuts. <laughs> to be put in that position in that place. But if God calls and God does, and we took the first church we took, we started with seven people, and in eight months we was running 85, and in a year we was running 120. Tell me God don't know what he's doing. Praise God. All right. He said, I press, I pursue. To someone here, you've allowed his calling. You've allowed his conviction. You've allowed yielding to him to elude you for too many times, for too long. 
On the left hand, tomorrow, the future, someday. On the past, on the right, we've got the, the, the regrets of the past and hung between two thieves of the past and the regret and hung between the other thief on the left of the future and all of that kind of stuff. Tomorrow, someday, always planning, thinking, one of these days, procrastinate on what needs to be done. Satan doesn't care what you plan to do. He doesn't care what you're thinking about doing. He doesn't care about what you're looking. One day, someday I'm going to yield to that, or someday I'm going to do what God, I know what God's dealing with my heart over, but you see, you need to do all that we can for God now. We not only use, he not only uses this one to hold back the work of God, but he uses this one to take many into eternity. He uses this for the simple fact of keeping many people from being used. And not everybody's called to preach, but everybody's called to serve God. Everybody's called to a different area of ministry. And I'm here to tell you something. Ministry's not all behind the pulpit. In fact, there's very little, but I tried to tell people when I was pastoring, you know, brother, you know that, but the, the pulpit is not 10% of pastoring. It's not 10% of, of ministry, probably ain't 5% of ministry. So we need to realize he not only uses this one to hold up the work of God, but he uses this one to take many into eternity. Tomorrow never comes. That's Satan's greatest trick. Hung between two thieves someday. Living in yesterday of regret, I can't because I failed or whatever. Or living in one of these days, we're hung between two thieves, the one of the past and the one of the future. And we stand suspended as long as we're suspended between the two. We can never go on to be what God wants us to be. We can never be saved as long as we're, stand, we're, we're just suspended between the two. There comes a time when it says now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. And I close with this. And I'm only closing one time, so you better get ready, brother. <laughs> Acts 24, 25. And as he is reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season... I will call for thee. Go thy way. He says, and as he reasoned righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. The power of God was so great. The conviction of the word was so great. The presence of the Lord was so great. But he trembled and he answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. A convenient season never came. Convenient season never came. It was just the mercy of God for sure that I finally found that season. But we're, I was sure not guaranteed that. And I really feel with all of my heart if I had not yielded to the moving of God and finally given to that, I have a feeling, sister, that I would have never lived to see tomorrow. You know, we look at this. He said, when I have a convenient season, I'll call. The power of God was there. Trembling. And yet, when I have a convenient season, I'll call. James 4, 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, one of the things that I saw, we was down in Florida one time, and we rented and went out on an airboat. Anybody ever done that? Through the Everglades. 
And we was out there running through the Everglades and just, I mean, it was nice, you know, seeing wildlife and, you know, I, I love that speed of the airboat. You know, I've been a speed freak all my life and, and I love the speed of, the, of that airboat and how it just moved and so smooth and so easy and all that. And we're running down through there and I got to look and here's these little ducks and they're just quacking and swimming along and having such a good time. And I look over here on the bank and here's out big old 14-foot alligator and that eight-foot alligator over here and here's a couple in the water and I'm thinking, are you nuts? You know, and I see ducks floating around and just swimming, paddling, and having a good time. And you got alligators here, and you got alligators there, and you got all this kind of stuff. You know, and there's some of them are even in the water with them and all this kind of thing. And are you crazy? I mean, you're, you're going to be somebody's hors d'oeuvre anytime he wants to, decides he wants something to munch on, you know. You wouldn't even make a good lunch, just a snack. Are you nuts? You're just swimming along over, over every, like every day is fine and nothing's going to change and you're just going and, and, and at any time, at any split second that could change. And the Lord spoke to me, brother, and he said, what's different about humans, about people? I thought for a minute, what, what are we talking about here? Well, the little duck gets out there and he swims around. He's got an alligator here. He's got an alligator there in the water, two or three alligators. They might even be as close as from here to that thing. And he just swims along like nothing. And at any moment, that can change. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's no different than humans. We get out and get in our car and take off on the road every day to go somewhere. We go to work. And at any moment, just that quick, it could be over. And so many people die within just 25 miles of their home. The biggest percentage of people die in car accidents and all that kind of stuff within 25 miles of their home. That's why it don't pay to wait till one of these days. Lord spoke to me and dealt with me. He said, it's no different than people. These little ducks that look so cute and out here swimming and are in such danger is no different. You get your car every day and you go to Heron. You get your car every day and go to Marion and go to the mall or go to the Walmart or go whatever. You get And it's no different because people are taken out just that quick. James 4 and 14, let's stand if you will. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while. And then vanished away. Someone in our family passed up the opportunity to make the change. Never get the chance again. Went to church over and over and over with another member of the family, just like I did with my wife several times. I was more fortunate. They were not that fortunate. They went to church over and over and over many times but never made the move, never made the start, never made a move for God. One morning they get up to go to work and everything's fine. Before they left the house to go to work, all of a sudden something hit. They were down on the ground, struggled for life for just a little bit. And everything had been fine. And struggled for life for just a little bit. Next thing you know, we get the call. They've died. You say, Brother Pepper, that's it. I'm just telling you, that's what happened. And it's no different from the little ducks swimming on the Everglades. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And so it's time to stop be hunging, 
to stop being hung between the two thieves. The past you can't do anything about. You can, but you can't do anything about the past failures. You can't do anything about your past wrongs. You can just lay them on the altar, give them to God, and put them under the blood. That's the best you can do. But you can do something about today and tomorrow. You can do something. It's time to stop being hung between the two thieves. Acts 24 again, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When a convenient season is, is, I will call for thee. Some here, the sand's running out. You don't realize it. Don't get hung between two thieves. It'll steal your soul. Don't worry about the past. There is therefore now no condemnation. It don't matter what you've not done or what you have done in your past. He tells me that when it's under the blood, there is therefore now no condemnation. Give it to him, leave it with him, and come on and do what God wants you to do. Respond. It doesn't say just leave it at that. It said there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Don't plan on the future. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I'm asking if there's some that would come, and, and I'm not talking, to, I'm, I'm talking to us as a church because there's things in our life that we fail to do or things in our life that God's been pulling on the strings of your heart. I'm talking to some here today that God's been talking and dealing with your heart. There's more that God wants for you but it's up to you to respond. It's up to you to move. God wants to do something more with you and through you and in your life, but it's up to you. You either respond and say, yes, Lord, or you allow it to stay where it's at, or else you yield your heart to him. Maybe you're not living for him. Maybe you're not filled with the Holy Ghost this morning. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. I know there's others here that God's dealing with and has. don't get hung up in the past. It's time to move forward and allow God to do some things in your life that he's never been able to do before. Would you come? I'll leave that one appeal with you. Will you come, please?